0: Uh, Please turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 1, we're starting a new book of the Bible tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be going through verse 11 this evening. You may notice some changes that are starting to begin in the foyer. Uh, began with the old information center being gone, and you're like, what is that platform there? Lord willing, that will eventually be a fireplace. We're in process of that. We've had difficulty getting our building permit, but that's slowly starting to come together. We're trying to create some sitting areas for the purpose of uh, encouraging fellowship. So you'll notice a few uh, new sitting areas that are there and it's gonna continue to come uh, together. But the whole reason that we're doing this is so when service is over or before service, it just encourages you to sit down and enjoy one of those benches or couches and have some conversation with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's such a big space out there. We're trying to make it a lot uh, more personal. So that's what is taking place out there. If you've always wanted to be a rock star, now's your chance to jump on that future fireplace, and you can go for it right there. So Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's read this together, and then we'll pray. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all of the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. For if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation." which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, and we are comforted. It is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you'll be partakers of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we were despised even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you're the father of mercies, that you're the God of all comfort. And tonight, we don't want to just study about your comfort, but we desire to experience it, to be partakers of it. We ask that you would reveal the pain in our lives so that we could not sit in that pain, but that it would drive us to you. Lord, I'm sure that this message will be really applicable to some. And I ask that you would comfort their hearts. We're asking that you would move, that you would heal hearts in a way that only you can. Lord, I know that this message is gonna be important for some of us down the road. And so, Lord, would you help us to remember this section of scripture, remember your character, your nature, to be able to experience your comfort. We know there's a real enemy, so would you bind Satan? Would you help your word to land on fertile soil and bear fruit? And we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. So a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, he was a German theologian who during the time of the Nazi regime he really stood up for Christ and he ended up getting arrested and ultimately killed. He was he was martyred. And he wrote a lot of letters while he was in prison that have now become very famous. They're called letters from prison, and he would also write to his fiance. They never got married, her name was Marie, and he wrote this prison or this poem to her while he was in prison. I'll read it to you, it says, should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dredges of pain? At the command, we will not falter, thankful receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Saying, we will receive whatever comes from the hand of God, and ultimately, his death. Now, what's interesting is, let's fast forward 18 years from when Maria received this poem, she shared this poem with a friend by the name of Joseph Bailey because his son died in a sledding accident. So she had this poem that was given to her by her fiancé, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. She then shares it with Joseph, who's lost his son. He includes this poem in a short book called Heaven, that he got a bunch of poems together, and one of these poems was one that was shared with him from Maria. Then fast forward 12 more years, okay? So Maria has shared it with Joseph. Now, Joseph puts it in a book. It's 12 years later. A woman is terminally ill in the hospital, and a pastor goes to visit her and shares a book with her. And it's the book called Heaven, and she reads this very poem that she had first received From her fiance, now that she receives it again 30 years later on her deathbed because she shared it. So, comfort came full circle. Isn't that a powerful story? It's a true story. And that's exactly what we read in Scripture tonight that we've been comforted by God so that we can pass on that comfort to others. And sometimes you walk long enough in Jesus Christ and the comfort that you shared with someone else. They may in turn share it with you and you're on the receiving end of it once again. My prayer tonight is that you would really experience the comfort of God in your life. As we read this section of scripture, I think that it's a very important section of scripture because one thing we know about life is it is going to afford us pain. It's going to afford us affliction and so for us to be able to rest in these truths this should be a section of scripture that is a well-worn section in our in our Bibles. It's it's prayed through, it's memorized, it's something that we walk through and we experience in our relationship with the Lord. But also this brings us to a new book of the Bible. So when we come to a new book, we want to get a little bit of the background because we're going to be in it for the next several months on Wednesday nights. So Quickly, who wrote this book? It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church of Corinth. And this is probably familiar to you if you've been studying with us through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, same church. It was a corrective letter. And now Paul's following up this corrective letter. And it seems as we read this that the Corinthian church is having a difficult time receiving from Paul's leadership. Something happened between first. Corinthians Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, possibly false teachers that came in and said, you shouldn't listen to the Apostle Paul. Or they got a little offended that they'd received a letter of correction. Ever had that happen? A believer corrects you, they rebuke you, and then you get the wrong idea of that correction, and you put them on your blacklist. But for some reason, Paul, as he writes, has to reaffirm his leadership with the church of Corinth. It's a deep level of pain in Paul's heart and his life, and it becomes the most personal of all of his letters. Every letter that Paul writes, this becomes the most autobiographical. He's sharing his heart, and he pours out his heart specifically about the suffering that he went through. If there's any reason that Paul saw validation for someone to listen to him, it was the suffering that he went through. So he's going to pour out his heart to this church. And the first seven chapters are really powerful in this area of suffering. And then it picks up again in chapter 12, where Paul writes, that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. So we're going to come back to this theme of suffering and comfort as we begin to discover it tonight in these first few verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you study Paul's letters, the way that he introduces himself gives the tone of the letter if he comes in a fashion of saying, I am an apostle by the will of God, then it's going to be one where it's more heavy in in nature. And that's what he does here. The word apostle means to be sent out. That was the ministry of the apostle Paul. as much like a missionary. He would go out and he would plant churches. And he knows it's by God's will. He knows that the place that he's supposed to be in and what he's doing is by God's will. And Timothy, our brother. So at this point, Timothy is traveling once again with the Apostle Paul. We saw at the end of 1 Corinthians that Timothy was the one to go visit the church of Corinth. So Timothy would often come and go where he was needed to assist in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I think this is one of the best ways to disciple or to train is to do life with someone else. Paul brings Timothy along. Everywhere he went, Timothy's going with him, and Timothy got to learn his manner of life. And some things we just catch, don't we? You can read them in a book, but then as you watch somebody, and you simply do life with them, and you observe the way that they do life, things are passed on in that way. So we start looking, God, who's the Timothy that you want me to be investing in? It's probably somebody that you already spend a lot of time with. If you're a parent, It's one of your kids. It's all of your kids because they spend a ton of time with you. You start looking around at work and go, who do I spend time with at work? That's a great place to start investing and pouring the things of Christ too. And this is what's amazing about a Timothy is you never know when they're going to take the baton of ministry going to take the baton of of serving the Lord. Paul's eventually going to go to heaven, and Timothy's right there to step into the things that need to be done inside of the church of God. It says, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Again, Corinth is in Greece, so if you think of a, a map of where Greece is today, this was a very prominent city in the Roman Empire, and it is very relevant to our culture today. It was a sports and entertainment culture. It had the the most popular games second to the Olympic Games. They found a theater in Corinth that would see 18,000 people. They estimated 80,000 people lived in this city, which was a large ancient city, so a good portion of them could go watch these sporting events. They had a concert hall of 3,000 people, so they liked their sports, they liked their concerts, they liked their entertainment there was travel, tourism, sex, and religious pluralism all linked together. This is very similar to the cities that we experience today that are given over to pleasure and sinful living, but yet God had done a work here. God had brought people to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 talked about the sinful lifestyle that people were in before they came to know Christ as their Savior. And Paul says, gives this list, and he says, Of this list, you once were, but now you're in Christ Jesus. And that's exciting, isn't it? That the church of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, can go into the darkest of cultures and God can birth a church, the church of Corinth. He jumps into it here with saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is written to a group of people that are checking him off that Paul's having to write to because for some reason they've dismissed his, his leadership and he says grace to you and peace to you. You'll find these in the New Testament and they're always linked up together. Grace and peace. Grace always comes first and then peace. It's been said grace refers to the love of God in action, which peace is its result. So grace is God's action of love in our lives. When we experience his grace, then the result is peace. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God in our hearts and lives. And they come from our Father. They come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 3, and this is where we really hone in on the God of all comfort this evening. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write down a few things and really pray through them. If you have a bulletin, on the back of the bulletin, there's this empty page that says notes. And if you've got a pen, you can write it down. But I think these are important things to be able to pray through. And the first is this, comfort is found in the nature of God. Comfort is found in the nature of God. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, So the nature of God, who God is, is he is God and he is father. And he's the father specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why do you think this would be important when it comes to this topic of suffering? Because the father sent his son to die upon the cross. How brutal do you think that it was for the father to see his son be crucified upon the cross? One of the things that tears my heart up, is especially when I go to the children's hospital up in Aurora, up in Denver, and you go through the cancer unit and the cancer wing, and you see these little kids suffering from cancer. That's got to be so difficult as a parent to watch your children go through those cancer treatments. I don't know of anything that tugs on our heartstrings more than to watch our kids suffer. If our kids were gonna face some serious health challenge, every parent in the room would say I'd rather it be me. I'd rather me go through it than to have my kids go through it. And God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he saw the suffering of his son, but then it was preordained, it was the plan. This was the plan of the Father. The Father was the one that set this all up and Jesus submitted to this plan. And so the Father's familiar with pain. And this is introduced to us in this topic of God comforting us in trial, that he understands trial. He understands pain because he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here we have the nature of God, the father of mercies. The father of mercies. And one of the most important things, A.W. Tozer said this, about you is what you believe about God. When someone says the name God... The name Father, our Heavenly Father, what's the first thing that comes to your mind about God? That could be the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And He is the Father of mercy. And being the Father of mercy means that He's the originator of mercy, He's the source of mercy, He has ownership of mercy. So, what is mercy? It's God not giving us the judgment that we deserve. Now, do you picture God as a loving Father, and do you picture God as a merciful Father? Probably not. A lot of times, the way that we picture God is almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-ready to judge. He's ready to bring the heat, but we don't picture Him as the Father of mercies. And in this truth about comfort, it's much more about the who than the how. It's much more about coming into the arms of our Father to be able to receive that mercy, to be able to receive that comfort. But a merciful Father seems like someone you could come to in pain, doesn't it? If that's what we believe about God, then we could run to Him to be able to receive the comfort that we need as we go through life. One of the things I know that I'm going to miss as my kids get older is in those younger years, the way they run to you, when they need comfort. They skin their knee on their bike, or you know, they, they bang into something, or slam their, their finger in the door, and all of a sudden they, they run to mom, they run to dad, and, and they want comfort. And you hold them a little while, and you kiss their owie, and it's all better, and then they're running off and they're playing. And the older that they get, the more complex that life gets. It's not that simple. It's not gonna be fixed that, that easily. And that's a wonderful picture of comfort that we could run to our father of mercy to be able to experience comfort. Comfort's found in the very nature and the essence of who God is. Jesus brings us into the father relationship with God. In the Old Testament, they did not address God as father. The nation of Israel did not address God as father. You won't find it. They address God as Lord, which is important. But as Jesus teaches us to pray, how does he teach us to pray At the very beginning? Our Father, which art in heaven. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit, causes us to cry out to the Father as Abba Father, as, as Daddy. It's the Father of mercies. There may be a huge disconnect in your heart and life this evening because of your understanding as God of Father, you can't press into it. You can't experience it. You can't believe it and receive it for yourself because it's difficult to see God as father. It's very important. He's the father of mercy. Remember the story of the prodigal son. The son wants his inheritance. The father gives it to him, which is extremely merciful and gracious. It would have been easy for the father to say, you know what, that shirt, I own that. Those shoes, I own that all this money, I own all this. He knew that the son was going to go to sinful living and he still gave him the inheritance. And then he goes and blows it. The son finally comes back and what does the father do? He runs to him to give him a spanking. He runs to him to give him a lecture. I told you so, now you can work it all off. He Comes and he puts the robe upon him, sandals upon his feet gets the best calf and says, We're gonna have the barbecue of the century, because my son has returned home. It was so merciful that the older brother got stumbled by it, didn't he? Hey, what about me? I've been working here every day for you, and there's been no barbecue. No barbecue for my faithful service unto the Lord. I still got this old shirt. When am I gonna get get the robe? The golden boy came home, glad to see him, right? And he stumbled over the mercy of God. But that Truth about God shows us that he's the father of mercy, but also he's the God of all comfort. He, he owns it. He's the God of all of it. This is saying that he's the Lord of all comfort, that he has the source in and of himself to provide the comfort. So hopefully what you're seeing in the truth of verse three is that God himself is the comforter, that we come to God to receive the comfort. In verse four, it says, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Comforts us in all of our tribulation. So write this down, comfort is an all-exclusive, inclusive, sorry, an all-inclusive promise. How many times is something supposed to be all-inclusive and it falls way short of its offer? All-inclusive except for the 15% gratuity that you have to owe on this all-inclusive offer. The batteries are rarely included, you know what I'm saying? You have to read the fine print of an all-inclusive offer. I bet maybe some of you have had a horror story with an all-inclusive offer. God says here, who comforts us in all our tribulations. So all is inclusive of everything. That means every trial that we go through in life, God has comfort for that. Comfort, it means to come alongside to strengthen. It's when someone comes alongside to strengthen. So so God's got strength. He comes alongside of us for strength with any tribulation that we go through. This word tribulation, it's also translated as trouble or affliction. It occurs nine times in this letter. This Greek word is used nine times in this letter. Now, trials, trials. Troubles, affliction, tribulation comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, doesn't it? There's some that are very big. There's some that are kind of small. Sometimes in the trials of life, we feel bad that it affects us because we go, you know what? I have my health. And how many people don't have their health? And here I am having a difficult time with something that's relatively small, but it is affecting us. So so what are some of the trials that we go through in life? There are the physical trials, the physical health challenges that we go through that I'm sure some of you are facing. There's the relational challenges and trials and tribulations that we go through. There's the financial pressures that we experience in life. There's the death of a loved one. There's the loss of a job. There's the breaking down of a car. There's the trials of just everyday life. It really can't even compare to the car breaking down. Just the day was stressful. I call it laundry. I call it grocery shopping. I call all of the, the dishwasher, it fits into that category. It's, you know, the dog poop's gotta be picked up in the backyard, it, it's all of that kind of stuff of life. And, and sometimes when the big catastrophe happens in our lives, We tend more to go to the comfort of God, but just the mundane, everyday trials of life, we go, well, God doesn't have comfort for that. But he wants to comfort us in all of our tribulations. All means all. That's a tremendous offer that God gives to us. This is a truth that resounds that says that there's no trial that's greater than God's comfort. Isn't that a beautiful truth? There's no trial that we can go through in life That's not greater than God's comfort. So if you're going through a trial this evening, is no one understand that there's comfort available for you in the midst of that trial? And God's comfort is greater. Comfort's an all-inclusive promise from God. Continuing in verse four, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Third thing to write down, comfort is to be shared. Comfort is to be shared. That's what this verse, verse 4, is teaching us. God is not comforting us just to make us comfortable, but he's comforting us so that we can come to know him in a greater way and we can pass on that comfort to others. This means that I cannot be an effective comforter until I've been comforted. And in order to be comforted, I have to go through trial. So God's going to say, okay, Eric, you've got to go through trial. You've got to go through trouble. You've got to go through affliction so you can experience my comfort to then you can comfort somebody else who's going through trial. What's fascinating to me about verse 4, look at it with me. It says, you'll be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. A lot of times we think we can only comfort somebody if we've gone through the exact or similar trial that they're going through. So I don't have anything to offer this person because I've never gone through this. But that's not what the scripture is saying. Is you've experienced God's comfort, so share the comfort you've received. So I want you to think about sometimes that you've went through difficulty in your life and how God has comforted you. And what people did he use in that process? Who came into your life and in that season? What did they do? What did they not do? Job's friends were miserable comforters. That's what he called them. He said it to their face. Why? Because they tried to fix it. They tried to solve it. They tried to unpack it for Job. That's not what you need when you're being pressed on every side, when you have difficulty beyond measure. The the people that have been effective comforters in my life have been people that have been patient to listen. Let me unpack it for a while. That's hard to do when someone's going through difficulty. I'm sure they felt vomited on at different times. Do you ever feel like someone just puked on you? They're going through difficulty and you're like, man, I'm just peeling the puke all over my face, right? But they have the patience to be able to listen. And a lot of times by speaking it out loud, you're able to process things that you couldn't while it was all internal in your mind. I think listening is very important in trying to be an effective comforter. Also, people that have prayed throughout that process. And we'll see at the end of verse 11, the effective prayer. You know, it's humbling to think about the friends, the loved ones, our spouses, our, our parents, brothers and sisters in Christ that saw us going through a difficult time and we may never even know how faithful that they were to pray for us. So we wanna listen, we we wanna pray for them. And then I think meeting very practical needs. You know, cooking a meal goes through a long, long way when you're going through difficulty. A card goes a long, long way when someone is going through difficulty. And in the right opportunity, the right time to be able to point them back to to who God is. But I think listening and prayer, meeting practical needs, those are things that we have to put, put first. It's very difficult to, in those times to have somebody that says, you know, well, right here is the chapter and verse that's going to solve all of your problem. There'll be opportunity for that, but their world has just been rocked. Maybe we've only thought of God's comfort in the terms of, well, God's trying to meet me. Yes, he's trying to meet you, but even more so, he's trying to teach us and train us so that we could be a person who passes on comfort to others. Have you noticed that you view people differently after you've suffered? You know, before we suffer, it's really easy to walk by somebody who's suffering. We don't even notice. We don't even see it. We just go right by. But then your heart gets broken, you get crushed, and you can see it on someone's face a mile away. You could look through this sanctuary and you could pick them out and you could go, bam, you're going through suffering. Bam, you're going through suffering. You look at the grocery store and you walk by somebody and you go, I know that look. They've been devastated. Something very drastic is happening in their life right now. I'm just gonna pray for them. God knows them. They need comfort. I'm gonna lift them up in prayer. But we don't even see it. We don't even know it until we have suffered. Comfort is meant to be shared. We go on into verse five. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Another thing to write down and consider is comfort abounds in suffering. That's so obvious, it almost doesn't need to be said, does it? Comfort abounds in suffering, but look at verse 5. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So, as I'm suffering for Christ, Paul's saying, The reason that Paul has so much suffering in his life was his decision to follow Jesus Christ. That the sufferings of Christ abound in my life, and so also the comfort of Christ abounds in my life. Philippians three, Paul actually prayed for this. He prayed to know the fellowship of his sufferings, speaking of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to really grow in appreciation and depth of understanding of what Christ went through in this life and upon the cross. It takes our own suffering, and as we experience that suffering, then the comfort of Christ becomes more real in our lives. It'd be nice if the suffering didn't have to come in order for us to know the consolation of Christ, but Comfort abounds in suffering. Sometimes we see somebody that has such a unique love for God, a real understanding and the knowledge of God, and we go, man, I would love to have a relationship with the Lord like that. And then underneath that is a life that has had a lot of suffering where they've gone to the comfort of the Lord. I thought that this put this in in a unique light. Comfort me, Lord, pay my bills. Comfort me, Lord, cure my ills. Comfort me, Lord, remove my fears. Comfort me, Lord, dry my tears. Comfort me, Lord, increase my wealth. Comfort me, Lord, and preserve my health. Comfort me, Lord, and plead my case. Comfort me, Lord, and enlarge my place. This is sounding pretty good. Comfort me, Lord, and tell me why. Comfort me, Lord, and set me on high. Comfort me, Lord, and do what I say. Comfort me, Lord, and do it today. The Spirit listened as I uttered my mind. He said not a word as I pleaded and pined, and he spoke in the language of conviction, saying comfort isn't comfort in the absence of affliction. God doesn't always remove the affliction. That's not the definition of comfort. And a lot of times what we're looking for, what I'm looking for, I'll be completely honest, is I want out of the difficulty. God, pay my bills. I need a financial breakthrough. I need a relational breakthrough. I need something to change in my life. That's what we're really desiring for comfort. A breakthrough. A breakout. Something. And God's saying, no, that's not what I may be wanting to do in this situation. The easy thing would be for me to deliver you. To change your circumstances. But I want to give you a knowledge of Christ that will sustain you in a far greater way. God wants to give us even a greater gift than relieving the circumstance. He wants us to know Christ in a deep and intimate and personal way. We may look back on our lives from the eternal perspective and see the greatest gifts that God gave to us were suffering. I wonder if we'll be able to look back on our life and go, that's the kind of person I would be without suffering. That's the lack of the knowledge of Christ that I would have in my life if it wasn't for suffering but as we go through the suffering, we go, God, where are you? How could you? If you loved me, why would you allow this in my heart and in my life? None of us want to sign up for pain. A lot of times we want to sign out of pain, but if we're honest and we look back on our lives, we go, those were some of my sweetest times with the Lord. Those were the times that I was on my face in the hallway before the Lord because I couldn't sleep. Those were the times that I really understood who Christ was in a greater way. God felt so near in that time of darkness, in that time of difficulty. I was so alone, but Christ was with me. Never would want to go back, but I wouldn't trade it in for anything. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the suffering of Christ abounds, but also the comfort of Christ abounds. In verse six, now if we are afflicted, it's for consolation and salvation, which is, effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it it is for your consolation and salvation. This goes along with comfort needs to be shared, as Paul realizes, hey, I'm suffering very drastically here in Asia, but it's for the comfort of the church of Corinth, their consolation, and their salvation. One of the greatest ways that God will use our lives is for us to suffer. <laughs> Man, I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up to go share the gospel with my neighbor or a family member or a coworker. You know, I, I signed up to be a junior high leader, but I didn't sign up for, for suffering. We cry out to the Lord and we say, God, I want my life to count for all of eternity. I'm in, God, I want my life to have eternal impact. And sometimes the answer to that prayer is suffering. And you're saying, really? Show me that in scripture. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? God threw them right into the fiery furnace because they stood faithfully for God. There they were, thrown into the fiery furnace, and someone joins them in the fiery furnace, one like unto the Son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar's doing his math, I threw three in there, and I'm counting four. And the four doesn't look like the other three. He looks like the Son of God. And how many times do people see Jesus Christ in our lives by seeing us suffer? Everybody gets cancer, no matter what you believe. The trials fall on the just and the unjust. But when someone sees a believer, cling to Christ in the midst of that cancer, to weep, to have tears, but yet to have hope of an eternal home. They go, there's something different about you. You've been sharing it with me for 20 years, but now I see you holding on to, to Jesus Christ. Lazarus died and rose again. Jesus rose him from the dead, and he was known for that. Like, oh yeah, there's the dead guy that Jesus rose from the dead, and we will be defined by our trials. Some of you know this. If you've lost your spouse and you walk into a room, you hear this Oh, yeah, they're the one that lost their husband. They're the one that lost their wife. If you've lost a child, oh, you know, he's dead. they're the ones that lost the child. Why? Because we're known by our trials that we go through. And people are watching in that moment. And many times that's when they'll come to believe the reality of Christ because they've seen the reality of Jesus in the midst of the suffering that we're going through. Could it be that a God who sees all of eternity might go, you know what, it's worth it, Eric, to allow you to suffer so that this person can go into the kingdom, so they could come to know me, so that a believer could be encouraged? Could it be when we get to heaven that we go, man, the season of my life that made no sense, someone over here was watching, I had no idea that they were watching, and they ended up receiving Christ as their savior? Oh, it makes a little bit more sense. But when I'm in the midst of a trial, all I think about is me. That's all I think about. I don't think about hey, oh, God could be using this in somebody else's life. And a lot of times in the depths of pain, we're going, wow, this is great that other people are being encouraged by this, but I still want out of this. <laughs> Anybody else ever feel that way? Like, Lord, I'm thankful that you're using this, but I'm still not super excited about this pain that I'm, I'm going through. In verse seven, in our hope, for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of suffering, so also you will be partakers of the consolation. So Paul's saying, we've got hope. We know you're going to suffer as well, just as we've suffered. And as we've suffered, you're also going to experience the comfort. You're going to experience, you're going to be a partaker of the consolation. Now, do you see something in these verses from verse three to verse seven that seems to be missing, there's no answer of how to receive the comfort. There's only the truth that God is the God of all comfort, that he's the father of mercy, this promise of comfort, but there's no instruction on how to be able to receive the comfort, how to become a partaker, not just observer of the comfort. It's not there. I think it's not there by design because we're not all the same. We don't all tap into the comfort the same way, and it's not a how. It's not a formula. This is what you need to do to be in order to receive comfort. It's a who. It's a drawing near to the Lord, but I did want to share a few things of how God has ministered comfort to me in my life, because I think it's really important to go through. I know this truth, but how do I experience it? So I'm going to quickly share a few of these things, and the first is come in humility. And you'll notice that each one of these has the word come in it, because I think in order to receive comfort, in order to be a partaker, you've gotta come. If someone invites you over for ice cream, you've gotta come. And if God's inviting you to comfort, you've gotta come, amen? So you've gotta come in humility. And this is Philippians four, verse six and seven. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A great verse to focus on. I'm gonna simply focus on this, which surpasses all understanding. When I'm going through a really difficult trial in my life, I have to be willing to receive a comfort and a peace that doesn't come from my understanding. And every time, that's a wall for me. Every time, there's a barrier for me. I don't understand why this is happening. I would like some answers. I tend to be someone who, if it makes sense, if I can think my way through it, it's a little bit easier for me to be able to handle it. And a lot of times with suffering, God doesn't afford us that. He he doesn't lay it out for us and go, okay, here's the mathematical equation why you should trust this. He simply says, will you receive a peace and a comfort that totally bypasses your understanding? God's not gonna answer that question why and that peace and that comfort will guard your heart and mind. Maybe a barrier for you with God's comfort is you have to have the intellectual understanding of why. And until you have the intellectual understanding of why, can see it, then you'll believe it and God's saying, I wanna comfort you I want to give you peace, but it's not going to be from your understanding. It's going to surpass your understanding. And that's the beauty of a child, isn't it? Children don't have to understand all of it. You pick them up and you say, oh, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. It's the craziest thing. They believe you. Like, okay, dad, it's going to be all right this really hurts, but you're telling me it's gonna be all right? It's a peace that surpasses understanding, and it takes humility in my life to be able to receive this. This verse has been an anchor for me and continues to be. Romans eight thirty two. come in dependency. Come in humility, but come in dependency. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up from us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It comes to the very core of who we believe God is. And when I'm faced with a trial that I don't understand, I have to rely on what I do understand, and that's that my father loves me, and he's demonstrated it by giving his son. I remember when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, it's been almost 12 years ago, they told him that he had six months to live. I was really wrestling with that. I was walking over to the bank right across the parking lot here, And I felt the spirit of God speak to me saying, Eric, do you believe that I love your dad more than you do and I'll do what's best for him? And the answer was yes. And it was still difficult after that, but there was a comfort that came to me. And it came through the lens of, okay, God, your love, you've demonstrated it. These trials have passed through your hands. I know you love me. I know that you love those who are around me. You do what's best. And so we look at the cross of Jesus Christ As we look through that lens, then we trust the Lord. I don't understand the love of God. I don't know why God would give his son for me, but I enjoy it. I also don't understand some of the trials that I go through life and that you go through life, but we have to be willing to receive it. That's where the dependency comes in. We come in dependency. And then we come in honesty. And I wanna take a little bit of time here to look at this, turn with me in your Bible into Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah Lamentations. And you might be going, Where in the world's Lamentations? It's in the Old Testament. Let me try to help you out a little bit. If you find the book of Psalms, it's in the center of your Bible, and then go a little bit to the right, which is Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. It's this little book. And Lamentations chapter 3. If you come to Ezekiel, you've gone too far. Now if you have a Bible app on your phone or your iPad, it was much easier for you. Just bam, you you got there. Don't feel bad if you don't know where Lamentations is. You're in good company. It's a difficult book to find, but Lamentations three. I wanna read Jeremiah as he is sharing with the Lord as he's going through trial. He's watching the children of Israel being taken out of the promised land And I want you to hone in on how honest Jeremiah is and then the comfort that he receives out of this honesty. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light, Lamentations 3, 1. And verse 3, surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy even when I cry and shout. He shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways when hewn in stone. He has made my paths crooked. He's been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. That's pretty bold. God, you're like a grizzly bear to me. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins, literally his kidneys. God, you've shot me in my kidneys. I've become the ridicule of people, their taunting song all day long. He's filled me with bitterness he has made me drink wormwood. He's also broken my teeth with gravel, ouch, and covered me with ashes. You've moved my soul from peace and I have forgotten prosperity and said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul shall still remember and sinks within me. Well, God bless you guys. Have a good night. I think we should just stop there. It keeps going. He's honest with God, and then he says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. He has to bring this back to mind. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Come in humility, come in dependency and trust, but come in honesty. Every time for me to really experience the comfort of God that that I can think of in my life has come when I open up the pain to the Lord and I'm honest with him. I trust him with that pain because he's my father, because he's my loving father. I can think when Amber and I went through a miscarriage in 2008 and she was 12 weeks along. It was Easter Sunday when we found out about the miscarriage. And then for several weeks there, I just held on to that pain and I didn't go to the Lord with it. I remember the night that I broke and getting down on my knees and crying out to God how I felt about that experience. I remember the words that I said. I said, God, I'm disappointed. I do trust you, but I'm disappointed. And those were hard words to utter to God. Even prior to that point in my life when people had said they were disappointed with God, I was like, how could you say that? How could you be disappointed? He gave his son for you. Like, Get over it, right? And in my youth and my ignorance, but I came to my own point of being disappointed and saying, Lord, this isn't how I thought it would turn out. And the, the comfort of God came into me at that point, and the Lord began to meet me. And it was a process of continuing to open up in the Lord with honesty, Today, right here in this sanctuary, about 4.30, I found myself just walking and pacing and praying because there's areas of my life this afternoon that I'm not allowing God in to experience his comfort. And I found myself having to be honest and saying, God, this hurts and I don't really like it and I don't really enjoy it and it's hard for me to understand and it's easy easy for me to push to the side, but God, I really want to meet you in this and I want to experience your comfort. And once again, I found the Lord begin to minister his peace and, and his comfort. And as we close, I'm not going to make it through verse 11, is God wants to heal broken hearts. Isaiah 61 says this. It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61:1 says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and rise again and touch and restore broken hearts and broken lives. And you may be holding on to pain that's really deep, that goes back from a lot of years. Or you may be, just in the last few weeks, just in the last few days, being experiencing some kind of pain in your heart and your life. And here's this promise on a billboard that God declares that he's the God of all comfort. That he comforts us in all of our tribulation, but yet for some reason, as we're going through our lives, we're going, I'm not experiencing that. I'm not a partaker of that. I'm not entering into that. And also in Psalms, it says that God is near to the brokenhearted. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to be near to to the brokenhearted. And this may be difficult to hear, but I mean it from my heart, and I mean it from a heart of love, is what I need, what we really need, is Jesus. He is the comforter, the only way that we can experience the comfort is coming to him. And I'm not undermining the value of friends, of the body of Christ, of people praying for us, but a lot of times we go to all of these other places to comfort, and they were never designed to comfort us, and they will never last. And the whole time, we have our Father who's saying, I'm here. Will you come? Come. I don't know how you need to come. Maybe you need to come in humility. Maybe you need to come in dependency. Maybe you need to come in honesty. But I do know this, you need to come. I need to come because he's waiting to heal hearts. He's waiting to comfort in only the way that he can. And we have an awesome opportunity to do that tonight in communion. As we come and we look at the broken body of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't understand the pain that you go through in your life. But I know that Jesus Christ does. You'd have a hard time looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ and telling him, you don't understand the pain that I've gone through in my life. But this is the joy of this evening is that Jesus is here. He's alive. He's risen from the dead and he wants to come and touch hearts. He wants to come and heal broken hearts. So this is my encouragement as you take communion tonight, is get the elements, go back to a quiet place, spend time with the Lord, and pour your heart out before Him. Just pour it out. Here it is, God. Here's the pain I've been holding on to. You say in your word that you're the God of all comfort. I want to experience that consolation. I want to experience that comfort. And as you're comforted, then go look for others that are in suffering and point them to the comfort of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Thank you, Jesus, that you're our wonderful counselor, that you came to heal broken hearts. God, would you allow us to be honest about the pain in our lives, the things that we don't understand, big or small, and may we experience your comfort. So would you meet us tonight in communion in a special way, in Jesus' name, amen.